You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bimel. Today we have with us, we're going to be playing for you a clip of my live webinar series. You know, the win-win webinar series, which I've been doing monthly. This month, December of 2022, we had the fortune to have one of our regular guests, a gentleman named Andy Walden. Andy is an economist who works for one of the largest mortgage servicing data groups in the country. Certainly one of the largest data providers to the mortgage servicing and real estate industries, and that's Black Knight Financial Services. He is really, you know, cut to it kind of the guy. He's reporting statistics, and a lot of what you'll hear, unfortunately, has video that went along with it, showed graphs and whatnot. But I think it's still valuable to hear us talk through some of the statistics that you're seeing. A lot of what, you know, the expectations were coming out of COVID were that there would be a large increase in foreclosures and defaults as a result of COVID. Well, the CARES Act came in and shut all that down back in 2020. And so Congress did a really good job of creating this soft landing for folks that were going into distress during COVID. Now, we all know that the the influx of cash from the government's CARES Act, along with the Fed's decision to leave interest rates low for the last several years, while all that cash was coming into the system, caused um, ultimately caused an inflationary aspect we saw earlier this year, which the Fed has now had to react heavily to. So now the next conversation that we've been having this year is, is there going to be a rise in foreclosures as a result of the rise in interest rates? And what we're seeing is the effect hasn't yet hit. You're going to hear a lot of that in the numbers that we talk about here in today's clip. When we look at the fact that the foreclosures just aren't really spiraling out of control by any means. And I think that this is more an indication of the slow moving nature of the real estate market and the fact that real estate and mortgages are going to be the trailing, they're going to be the indicator of of any pending recession, anything forthcoming. There will be other economic difficulties, cost of living, cost of other goods, inflation. Eventually, the rise in interest rates will have an effect because you'll see people who are forced to reset their mortgages with rise in interest rates, whether they're adjustable or they have loans that mature on the commercial side, we will see. And so that's the next thing we're looking for in the stats. Listen to the conversation with Andy Walden, and we'll be back on the other side to discuss it. Oh, First Lean Capital, a company I founded two years ago, has been a specialist in investing in non-performing, sub-performing, and performing mortgages, primarily in residential real estate. We own over 700 loans across 30 states in the U.S., so we're constantly having to stay abreast of the most recent data 
on a state-by-state, market-by-market level, as well as really be having our fingers on the pulse of mortgage servicing. You know, a lot of what goes into a, a successful business of investing in the mortgage and real estate business is the way that you service, you know, the portfolios that you're buying. And so, you know, no better than today's guest works for a firm that really is the main servicer to the residential mortgage business in the sense that they provide the data, the mortgage servicing platforms, analytics. I'll I'll give you some background on today's guest, Andy Walden. He is the vice president of enterprise research strategy, Dana and Analytics. Wow, that's a that's a handful of <laughs> Black Knight. This is a publicly traded company, BKI and the NYSE. They are a premier provider of integrated software, data, and advanced analytics to the mortgage and real estate industries. And as the chair of Black Knight's editorial board and the guiding force behind Black Knight's mortgage monitor report, which Andy's going to go through his most recent version of the monitor today, he is widely cited by media outlets and industry publications regularly. I mean, you know, God knows why he takes the time to spend with just little old us here. But <laughs> when he could be spending this, I'm sure you've done your, your stints on CNBC and Bloomberg and whatnot. And I think you were named a rising star by Housing Wire in 2021. So that's congratulations on that, Andy. And thank you for being here. You know, I don't need to sit here and tell you what an interesting year it's been for real estate. The The Fed's aggressive moves in interest rates finally are may actually be having their effect. We got a report out about the CPI index increase. You know, we still are seeing an increase of 7.1%, I think is what they announced, but it was lower than expectations. So that's good news. So the price of goods are still going up, but apparently not as much as they were as we expected. And, you know, so now the stock market this morning is going on fire. You know, this has been a tumultuous year and no better that a person to end the year with than you, Andy Walden, you know, talking about where the mortgage market goes, where real estate prices are going. You know, we have anecdotal evidence around the country of changes happening in the real estate and mortgage market. And maybe you you can kind of add to, you know, to 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 some of that. Oh, by the way, I want to just point out as a just as a side note, you'll love this being an economist. I am listening to a podcast now that I'm into podcasts. I mean, you know, I'm getting into podcasts. <laughs> the I'm listening to a podcast about Adam Smith right now, trying to figure, the Freakonomics radio podcast does this great yep. piece on him, how he's like the most overquoted and under misunderstood, you know, because of the selective quoting that's done from him over the years. <laughs> but anyway, so Andy, thank you for being here. How you been? How you doing? I'm I'm doing great. I love seeing those pictures. I'm jealous that I didn't get to go to the World Cup, but that that was phenomenal. But yeah, everything's well on our side. I'm going to let you take it away and go through kind of the numbers, put put some of the data in front of us. But I think we can just start by both agreeing that this has been an interesting year and the year ahead, you, you know, should certainly be one for the record books. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely right. We were just talking before this that you could do an entire episode on what was going on in mortgage and housing in 15 minutes a year ago or two years ago because everything was going smooth, not a whole lot of changes. And, and there's been just this massive transition in the market over the last six months. And now it takes you six hours to walk through everything that's going on. So definitely an interesting time. And I, I think 2023 is going to be an interesting year as well. And the simple storyline there as we enter 2023 is that we hit a record low in terms of the number of delinquent mortgages outstanding. In May of this year, we've trended marginally higher over the last couple of months. But holistically speaking, if you look at the active stock of mortgages out there in the U.S., extremely strong credit quality still, extremely strong equity positions still, and very, very low delinquency rates from a historical perspective, even though they have started to edge up a little bit off of their early 2022 lows, we're still seeing very low delinquency rates overall in the market. The the one area that I would call out that's starting to see this transition, right? And this is kind of the story for the mortgage market as a whole is the stock is extremely strong. We're in a very strong position. That's why the Fed is pushing like they can and feels like they can push like they can or, or like they are on both mortgage and housing is because of how stable the market is right now. But we are seeing transitions among more recent originations, right? The things things are beginning to shift a little bit out here in the market. And the, the right side here is a good example of that, right? So what we're looking at here is just the delinquency rate at six months after origination. So early payment default activity of mortgage originations. And what we see is the kind of what you'd expect, right? Higher in the early 2000s, we all know that that happened. Credit quality really tightened up in that 2010 through 2016 timeframe. No over, nothing surprising there. And the fact that we've kind of gradually seen credit loosen over the last few years and these early payment default rates have have started to rise. I don't think that's overly shocking to anybody either, but we are starting to see some noticeable upticks here in, in 2022 among this category, right? And one thing that I would note is we're looking at performance data as of October, and we're looking at delinquencies at six months of loan age. And so these are actually mortgages that were originated in April of last year, our our last data point here. And we we know that this credit quality has continued to marginally worsen as we've moved throughout 2022. And I'll kind of touch on that in a little bit. When you look at these early pay default rates, they're trending upward among conventional mortgages. They're still 75% below early 2000s levels, but you are starting to see early stage delinquencies rise up. Among VA loans, a little bit sharper rise. They're about 50% below early 2000s levels. The FHA market is really where my eyes are drawn right now when I look at mortgage performance. They're kind of the canary in the coal mine in the market right now. We don't have a subprime market to speak of. Those lower credit quality borrowers are taking on those FHA type of loans. And so as we move through the next year, I think it it makes a lot of sense to keep a close eye on those FHA borrowers. And what they're signaling is early payment defaults, even among April originations, before we started to see the market truly transition and, and transition even further over the last few months, you're already seeing early pay defaults rise among those FHA loans. They're already within 25% of where they were in the early 2000s. So I think this is a, a subcomponent of the market that's really worth watching. And I think there are some noticeable transitions in terms of credit quality that have taken place in 2022 as well. And I'll jump into more of those as, as we go on throughout the, the session here. The other thing that I would mention in terms of mortgage performance, and here we're looking at on the left side, borrowers that have been in forbearance plans at some point over the last two and a half years. We all know that that was a big piece of the equation in terms of getting the mortgage market back on track throughout the pandemic. The right side, we're just looking at serious delinquencies and the the protections that they have had and and still do have in place from foreclosure out there. And if we start on the left side here and we we look at 
the 8.3 million borrowers that have been in forbearance. That's 16% of all mortgages in the US have been in a forbearance plan at some point over the last two and a half years. We see a couple of different things. One is that performance overall has been very strong. The vast majority, 87% of borrowers that have been in forbearance have either returned to making mortgage payments or have paid off their, made their lender whole. Uh, another 6% are in active forbearance. And that forbearance volume has kind of slowly trickled off over the last year, but still remains relatively stable because we're still allowing significant entry into those forbearance programs, right? So I think all of those things are as to be expected and, and relatively good news for the market. Mm-hmm. A couple of pieces that are worth watching here. One is still a quarter of a million loans post forbearance that are in last minute. That was a half million entering this year. So servicers have made some headway. We still have a quarter of a million borrowers that needed forbearance that haven't had a workout established yet. So that's a, a moderate pocket of risk there. There's another, a little over a third of a million loans that have made it through forbearance, made it through loss mitigation and still remain delinquent. Right, So that's a more significant pocket of risk there. Now, to put that in context, that's eight months worth of traditional foreclosure activity. That's it's a meaningful share out there. But when you start to dig into the weeds, half of those were borrowers that were already delinquent before the pandemic. A quarter all in are borrowers that are 120 plus. The remainder are in lesser stages of delinquency. So I wouldn't categorize that as a massive amount of risk out there. There's certainly a pocket and something worth watching. But I would call that more of a modest pocket of risk as well. Because when you really identify the borrowers that would be at near-term foreclosure risk, you're talking about a little over 80,000, about two months worth of traditional foreclosure referral activity. So certainly an area worth keeping an eye on, certainly still a lot of work to do to get those remaining borrowers back to performing, but some potential foreclosure referral activity in the pipeline there. When we look over on the right side, we just look at the outstanding stock of serious delinquencies in the market. We see that it's still about 30% elevated from where we entered the pandemic. Part of that is because we still have that lingering inventory out there. But part of that is because we've become a more kind of back heavy population of of delinquencies. Delinquencies are still extremely low all in. But what's happened is we've allowed forbearance plan entry for so long that borrowers would have been 30, would have been rolling 60, have taken advantage of forbearance plans and have rolled to later stages of delinquency. So it's a little bit of a Maybe a misnomer a little bit in terms of how many serious delinquencies and the overall risk out there, but we do have more seriously delinquent loans still as of kind of the end of 2022 than we did entering the pandemic. The difference is that the vast majority of these borrowers are still protected from foreclosure, either through active forbearance plans, through loss mitigation, or through active bankruptcy. Right. So early on in the pandemic, we know that there were more widespread moratoriums and in place protecting folks from foreclosure really throughout all of 2020 into late 2021. And as we've transitioned out, I think a lot of folks expected just this boom of foreclosure activity. We haven't seen it because those borrowers have moved from forbearance into active loss mitt and held there, I think, a lot a lot longer than folks were expecting. And so as we enter 2023, we still have three quarters of these serious delinquencies that are protected either through forbearance or loss mitt or, or right. bankruptcy activity. Right. So we transition into our our last slide on performance here. On the left side here, we're just looking at those foreclosure referral volumes, right? And we see that there was a pop early this year as as those moratoriums expired, a little bit of a a mini boomlet of foreclosure referral activity. But from that point forward, we've really seen foreclosure referrals trend very closely with serious delinquency volumes out there in the market. And they've kind of gradually trended downward throughout this year, whereas I think a lot of folks in the market were expecting foreclosure referral volumes to rise as we move throughout the tail end of this year. And it simply hasn't manifested itself out there in the market. 
if you look at the share of serious delinquencies that are being referred to foreclosure, it's right around a little less than 4% per month, right? 3 to 4%. Mm-hmm. In the pre-pandemic area, it was 9%, right? So a half to a third, the share of serious delinquencies are actually transitioning into foreclosure every month. And there's a number of different reasons for this, right? Part mm-hmm. of it's the equity positions that, that folks are in. Part of it is the protections that are in place. Part of it's the fact that we still have forbearance availability widespread, right? So if you become 90 to 120 plus, you can enter into a forbearance plan and get some extension. And so you see fewer of those serious delinquencies rolling to foreclosure. But that's kind of the trend that we've seen throughout this year. And if we look forward into next year, I put my eyes kind of on the, the March 2023 timeframe when that CARES Act is set to expire, and there's questions around how do we treat serious delinquencies as we move forward, right? There's been this widespread forbearance as the first option, and there's folks pushing for that to be kind of the long-run solution in the market. There's debates on whether that's the, the correct path to go, right? Because if you look at more recent forbearance plan exits that have been more traditional default activity, they haven't fared as well through those forbearance plans. They're still seeing relatively strong success rates, but not as strong as we saw early on, because forbearance really isn't meant for traditional default or long-term loss of income or long-term inability to make a mortgage payment. It's more meant for short-term loss of income, like we saw in a a widespread manner early on in the pandemic. And they were very, very successful at mitigating that type of risk, as we just saw. But when you get into more traditional defaults, there are questions in in terms of, is that the right solution? So I put my eyes kind of towards that March timeframe, right? The the data that we have right now on demand letter expirations and and foreclosure transaction volumes coming through our systems isn't signaling any kind of near-term rise. Plus, we're getting into the holidays where you traditionally have moratoriums and things like that. So I don't see over the next a uh, handful of months, a big spike in foreclosure referral activity, but we could see more of a systemic transition in the market as we move into 2023, depending on what those programs are that, that we kind of move forward with in the post-CARES Act era. So that's really what we're seeing from a, a performance perspective. Any any conversation we want to have on that before we move forward to no, looking at I just No, I find it interesting that, you know, foreclosure starts are not are not back up, you know, because, and, you know, we saw a spike at the beginning of the year. All the lawyers that I was meeting with at events all year long were excited at the beginning of the year and then have, like, you know, like the statistics have shown, said, yeah, it's it's been consistent and steady, but there hasn't been a wave again. And, you know, some of that, I think a lot of that has to do with, like you said, there's still CARES protections in place. You know, I've talked about the removal of the TDR and CECL, you know, the emergence of TDR and CECL reporting requirements being a factor on the commercial side. Well, it still hasn't manifested into a large number of loans being sent to foreclosure thus far this year. I think that there's still a lot of the kicking the can down the road that's that has continued. But, you know, I think there is a convergence and we can talk about this for hours of of so many different things that have happened now that the cost of money has moved so quickly you know i'm banks that would would that even small community banks or credit unions that would sit on any kind of either low interest performing loans that now need to be marked to market because they have a lower yield value given where the secondary market is or npl that assumed full cap you know, that the banks, because of the equity position, any NPL that banks have been sitting on portfolio wise, 
you know, now there, you know, there's more of a liquidity crunch. And so I would have still expected to see there be more coming to market, either through the secondary market, you know, we're starting to see a ramp up of new sales. I'm hearing of banks coming out of the woodwork. I'm hearing of the liquidation, you know, the FDIC version of credit unions get being very busy these days, but it still hasn't seen that shoe fully drop. And maybe there's something, you know, in the fourth quarter data that we haven't yet seen, but, you know, it's very interesting. I get, like you said, Now that we're at the end of the year, there's not going to be anybody pushing to kick people out of home, certainly, when we're only three months away from, is that the full end, end all, be all of CARES, supposedly, is March 2023? We'll see. But yeah, I mean, that that's the way that it's lined up right now, is the, kind of the end of the forbearance entry protections, at least, right? And that's kind of the piece that, in, at least in my mind, when I look forward at 2023 potential foreclosure referral activity, that's that's the part that I really key in on, right? Because what that does is for defaults that take place in, in the third quarter, right? Or in any any past quarter that we've had, you've effectively kicked out kicked the foreclosure start volumes forward two quarters, four quarters, six quarters. And throughout that time frame, I mean, you use the term kicking the can down the, the road, and that's exactly what we've seen, right? And it's right. been very, very successful because the more we kick down the kick the can down the road, the more time folks have had to right size themselves, right? So if I go back right. to this prior slide, if I can get it to work here, there we go. I mean, you can kind of see the the improvement that we've seen in overall serious delinquency rates. I think right. the, the metric is there are half as many serious delinquencies today as there would have been a year ago if we would have right. shut down these protections, right? Yeah. So in this instance, kicking the can down the road has, has been a very effective solution, right? It's allowed yeah. the economy to recover. It's allowed these borrowers to recover. It was a one-time, really all of this default activity we're seeing came in a single quarter, right? And so it's allowed those borrowers that defaulted in the second quarter of 2020, an additional year and a half for the economy to recover, for their financial situation to recover. And so it's really resulted in very low foreclosure for referral volumes for the last few years and and will into the first quarter of next year as well. Yeah. And it's interesting, these serious delinquencies, you know, that 350, that quarter of a million population of loans, you know, with rough math on it is, you know, 60, 70 billion of, of debt that, you know, could come all at once. Well, I mean, I don't expect it to, but like you said, the kicking the can, in this case, the CARES Act, the king of the can of the road, all of this stuff, while not as good for guys that buy distressed debt, has been good for a servicing that have issues and the borrowers themselves. I feel like, you know, it's probably as good as one could expect a government major government program like that to go, you know, as long as you're not the guy that's sitting there trying, you know, in a moratorium. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, exactly right. Yeah, uh, I think that the one, you know, in in I think when it comes to mom and pops, there are a mom and pop landlords that have gotten stuck in the middle of it too. I don't know if we have any data to that today, but you know, the those who have tenants that are using COVID as a reason not to pay rent. And then it you know it becomes a trickle down with the lender and whatnot. So yeah, you're, um, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean it's a lesser of two evils on on that side. And the same goes. I mean mom and pop are absolutely one, and and there's similar expenses being pushed onto larger servicers as well. There's a cost to implement all of these different programs, 
that servicers have absorbed as well. I think we look at it holistically as, hey, the end justified the means, but there have certainly been expenses and there continue to be expenses as you roll programs like this forward. Yeah. And, you know, it may be another conversation, not for today, but it'd be interesting to see which servicers have kind of gotten squeezed, you know, these last two years, or especially even in the last year, this like this year with the cost of things going up and and then origination volume way down and you know we can talk about that offline. <laughs> yep. That was my conversation with Andy Walden and yes there is more to talk about with regard to maybe the distress if anything that we will see in mortgages maybe it comes in the way of mortgage servicers because many have been squeezed you know when you are a mortgage servicer that owns the rights to government more issued mortgages and then the government tells those borrowers that hey you can choose not to pay and go into forbearance but the government still expects the servicers to cover those costs so you know, there is there is the possibility of distress there. There's more to be discussed in terms of, you know, keeping an eye on this space. I think we are starting to just starting to see the beginning of an uptick that will be consistent and it will trend with the market. It'll trend with the loss of jobs, the increase of cost of living, the increasing interest rates. We will start to see a little uptick in defaults. And for a guy like ourselves who are investors in the default space, this is good. This increases the inventory by which we can attract opportunities. So, you know, and if you think about it, you know, the residential mortgage market's a $12 trillion industry, 1% increase in defaults. If you hear about that in the news, that means $120 billion of defaults of defaulted paper. So, you know, there, there's certainly plenty of market share. To- that is all we have for today's episode. Next week or in an upcoming episode, you'll see part two of this webinar series where Andy and I get into conversations about new originations and what we're seeing on the on the front end of the mortgage servicing very stark pictures there and we'll discuss that on an upcoming episode if you like what you hear please do subscribe thanks for listening to the real estate lowdown if you're interested in investing in in this market you can look us up on the web at firstleancapital.com you can follow me at buildbymel.com anytime but please spread the word about the real estate lowdown we're always looking forward to hearing, you know, recommendations for guests or topics, you know, maybe future tidbit topics. Until next time, this is Bill Bymel. Thanks for listening. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.